What is going on? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. That is right. We are back again. Show number 200 of the Sports Card Show podcast. Just start things out. Thanks for everybody that has uh, tuned in over the years, whether you picked us up on show number one or show number two or show number 100 or now on show number 200. Uh, welcome aboard the Sports Card Show podcast train, and we're going to keep things moving right along. We've got numerous topics today since we haven't had a show in uh, several months now. So we'll talk about blowout cards uh, was hacked. So add them to the long list of uh, internet retailers that uh, had your credit card information stolen. So definitely some affected collectors out there, and uh, hopefully uh, no one that was listening. But we'll talk about, in general, uh, the responsible uh, cards has had and what they've done since then. We'll talk about Panini, uh, a, kind of a round table, so to speak, of Panini uh, topics. We got uh, National Treasures Basketball came out, and I saw some uh, weak reviews on that or a week review on the sales or kind of the interest in that product. We'll talk about Panini's latest disaster, a card that they numbered a one of one that did not com- contain uh, actual game used jersey uh, pieces, although the card stated that it did. We'll talk about the industry summit, which turned out to be uh, pretty much a disaster for Panini and a disaster for anybody that went, uh, mainly because. Panini did not give out Panini black boxes this year, which is the uh, product or box of cards that they give attendees that was often close to like a $300 bill unopened, and that was not given out this year, and so I'm sure people are still a little upset about that. Mickey Mantle signed with Panini. There are several topics we'll cover with Panini. We'll give our uh, obligatory check out my cards update. Uh, and I also had some questions from a listener that came in via email. So we'll answer those. And those refer to uh, submitting your cards, actually sending your cards in to check out my cards. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about a breaker who blatantly switched cards or something. I don't know. This guy was uh, clearly... Uh, and I mean, I think he knew exactly what he was doing, but he blatantly switched a card out. There was a lot, a lot of speculation on what kind of card it was or what card it, that, uh, he went on camera basically to steal away from the people that had bought into the group break. But I don't believe at this moment we have any clarity. So we'll talk about that story briefly about the NFL draft. And we'll also wrap things up with, uh, we have to have, Kind of a Make America Great Again segment. We'll talk about ta- a little bit about tax season and some things you can do uh, for the remainder of this year uh, to kind of help uh, if you had to pay taxes this year. You're not sure tax reforms coming uh, down the pike from the Trump administration. Whatever it might be, got some great, uh, great tips for you there. And uh, we got to talk a little bit probably about LeVar Ball, Lonzo Ball, the NBA draft. Kind of all wrapped it up into one. I think it would be kind of uh, kind of interesting. So let's start with blowout cards. They were hacked. Uh, this was going back a month or two. Uh, this story, in fact, was going back about a month or two. Um, another sports collectors daily. I think it's the website that reported. My brother ended up writing up a little piece on uh, our website, sportscardradio.com. That's actually where I initially heard about it. And I actually visit the blowout forums 
daily, I would say, or not really necessarily daily, but certainly every other day or every third day, I like to check it out just to see what's going on, what people are talking about, what people are excited about, what people are not excited about. Um, I'm equally, uh, it's equally enjoyable to read about both things, but I didn't really see anything about this on their forums. So I think Blowout took the stance of, you know, try to uh, say as a little as possible about it. And, and quite frankly, I think Target tried to cover up or did cover up their breach. Yahoo has covered up their breach from the, the public and from Verizon. And, and, you know, so the norm is to cover it up when, you, when you're a website or, or an e-commerce site or even a retailer like Target. The initial knee-jerk reaction is to cover it up and... Uh, I don't think that's necessarily uh, the right thing to do because what it ultimately ends up doing is puts you in a spot where blog cards can get lit up. I think my brother put up an article and uh, it did really well. I think he might have bought a little bit of advertising to it, but not much. Um, so you'd be amazed uh, with five, ten dollars of a boost on a Facebook or a Twitter. The word about these things can spread really quick. And at that point, now my brother's controlling the narrative of the story. Whereas if blowout cards had gotten in front of it a little bit, maybe a little bit better, maybe put a little what I would expect in a situation like this, a, a site like blowout, put a little bar at the top of your site that's like yellow or red or whatever and say, hey, read this information or put a banner on the site on every page, at least for like a week or so. So everybody that comes to your site for at least a week or 30 days, I don't know, uh, you know, I'm not here to, you know, draw up the rules on this kind of stuff, but I think blowout cards could have handled it, handled it a little bit better. They could have got out in front of it a little bit more and let their customers know what was going on. Looks like people were hit up for some pretty big charges. And uh, I think what got my brother upset was he saw a member uh, bring up, bring to light this on the blowout form and want to discuss it. And then blowout essentially banned them. They said it was for uh Blowout said they they suspended his account or his form account or whatever because he had mul- quote unquote multiple accounts. And while I don't uh, disagree that that is the case, the guy probably had more than one account. But if he was on there posting glowing reviews about Blowout or defending Blowout, or if he had not posted at all, I'm sure his account would have remained active. So. Um, there was there was like an active an a, blowout was actively trying to cover this up basically and so i don't like that i don't like that one bit i think you get out in front of it you admit it it's really no big deal quite frankly if you get ha- like if you're a company that gets hacked i don't want to say it's no big deal you should be actively trying to thwart it but we saw just the other day hundreds and hundreds of companies around the world from FedEx to uh, hospitals and stuff had that uh, no cry virus or something uh, where the, 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 they were looking for Bitcoin or something on there. So th- these things happen. Uh, you know, that was software written by Microsoft, one of the world premier world's, um, you know, preeminent software makers. So, you know, this, this, all this software is written by humans. It's good. It's not perfect. No human is perfect. So I've never seen perfect code or perfectly written software. So 
it's going to happen. Get out in front of it. Admit it. Um, but man, if blowout cards has been hacked, I knew I did an audit of group breakers websites. This was like two or three years ago at this point, uh, these guys, none of these, some of these guys didn't have SSL it, and it was just, they were collecting a lot of your information, uh, through public forums that easily could be hacked through watching YouTube videos, let alone, I'm sure blowout cards, uh, had a secure form they were, they were sending you to, but even secure form doesn't mean it can't get hacked or it hasn't been hacked already. So those things happen. And, uh, again, I, I don't, I, it's, it's I don't want to say it's not a big deal, but I think the way that blowout handled it could give you a window into, you know, who you're buying from there. If they're willing to cover up that they got hacked. What else are they, um, you know, what else is going on? I don't know. Moving right along, let's move into Panini since they've had uh, multiple, uh, multiple topics that we can talk about. First things first, National Treasures uh, basketball came out and the, the response to this product seems a little lukewarm at best. I think you've had a rookie class that didn't perform very well outside of Brandon Ingram looked pretty good for a, for a little bit, but Laker fans could be uh, suffering a little bit of fatigue considering they've had Julius Randle cards to buy. They've had uh, D'Angelo Russell cards to buy. If you're into the team a lot, you might be buying uh, Clarkson and um, the white center that they have. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the um, the Lakers, so the Lakers have a lot of players, and not to mention if you're still collecting Kobe or Magic Johnson or Kareem or Shaq or any of these other players, your wallet's gonna you know be a little thin at some point. So uh, Ingram, I think, was by far the the strongest rookies in terms of interest, but uh, nobody else really in the whole rookie class really did much at all. I think that's pretty safe to say. Uh, ben Simmons was hurt all year, but he also had an exclusive deal with uh, Upper Deck. So none of his signatures ever appeared in Panini, including National Treasures Basketball. And so not having the number one pick in there, a really kind of lukewarm rookie class at best. Panini also into kind of the overproduction uh, stage of their uh, lifespan, so they're they're pumping products out, just producing uh, producing it uh, in mass quantity, including something like National Treasures. I think what Panini probably should have done this year is made National Treasures really limited and like made it a really exclusive product. I mean, it already I don't want to say it's like an exclusive product, but. Uh, it's, I think they could, what they could have done is really limited it, made it a really exclusive product, really hard to buy. Uh, that would have then set up the next year's already looking good. As we'll talk about later in the show, you got the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers at a one, two pick. The Celtics are already good. The Lakers are probably going to get Lonzo ball. Enough said right there. That should get enough people interested in collecting their rookie cards. Again, if they're in the products, uh, these these athletes can do what they want, as we've seen. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But well, again, we'll talk about And I might have a little bit more, maybe some insider information on if Lonzo Ball has already signed with a trading card company already. So we'll give you a little inside information if we have it here. Um, but... 
I think what I would have done is made National Treasures a little, little more limited this year, you know, kept people excited about it, roll that into next year. Then you roll out the sticker autographs, make, make you know, RPAs of guys drafted in the second round or whatever, you know, dilute the product a little bit next year. I don't think, again, sitting here, Foresight might not be 2020, but next year's National Treasures if it has all the right players and all these players show some promise, uh, the interest in the product might be be a lot, and they they could have pumped it out the door. But Panini's not uh, Panini's not in the business of cultivating brands and doing the right thing for a brand. Really, all they're into the business of doing is kind of mass producing these, car, acquiring these licenses, and making as many of these cards as they possibly can. They don't really care if National Treasure sucks this year because they'll just you know sell it to you for the same price next year whether it's good or it sucks whatever there's always someone there uh looking to pick it up looking to buy it uh, i'm sure you know you'll see national treasures basketball in the in stock list of these distributors and blowout and all that but uh you know i again the nba i the the nba this is kind of off topic but it's hard for these 18, 19-year-old kids to come into the league and really make a huge impact. You really have to have, you know, I know Carl Anthony Towns developed pretty nicely year two, year three. Andrew Wiggins, kind of the same thing. So you there are, you can project forward some of these guys' career, but certainly if they don't come out the, the gate and kind of show you that, and show you that potential that that they can be one of the top five, ten best players in the league. It really does slow down the sales of this stuff, and I think we saw that this year with uh, the NBA. Not to mention, people were, were probably blown up a little bit on football if you were chasing the football a little bit. You might have gotten blown up on uh, on that, and so so your wallet might have been a little light. Um, Panini, no black boxes. No, the industry summit. This was several months ago. Again, I have my topics here. We haven't done a show in a while. So it might sound like some of these topics are a little old. I just jot them down in my notes section on my iPad so we can come on here on the show, have a broad range of topics. So the Industry Summit was an event that uh, yours truly and my brother promoted freely, F-R-E-E, promoted it freely, even paid for our own pass paid for our own suites in Las Vegas, paid for our taxi rides to and from the Orleans because you're, if you don't already know, we're 200 shows in. If there's anything true about me and my brother is that we would not stay at the Orleans. Where the entire industry, that's where the industry congregated and I was always shocked. Every year I was always shocked when I would go to the industry summit. I only went a couple years. But I was always surprised when I went to the industry summit how nobody, how everybody just stayed at the Orleans. Nobody stayed at one of the, the finer resorts at, uh, or at least, you know, a little bit nicer uh, hotel than uh, the Orleans is. So it's really... Uh, you know, janky property, for lack of a better word. So I was always shocked that these these two bloggers, I'd even bring a friend of our, my brother and I bring a friend to Vegas, uh, usually whenever we go, and he's always broke. And uh, so we're always having to pay for his meals and hotels and whatnot. But uh, 
I was just amazed how, um, you know, somebody with a free website who was freely promoting the event could be doing so well and then could be basically banned from the event. And let me tell you, when, when I was promoting the Industry Summit and my brother was promoting the Industry Summit, putting up articles about it, telling everybody, you can go back on the shows. They're, they're, they're archived. I, there are shows where I said, hey, you should go to the Industry Summit. And I probably still have that opinion. If you're in the sports business, uh, sports card business, you probably should go. I think it's def- at least once you should go. Now it sucks that they don't have black boxes. But um, the Industry Summit is probably still worth going to, but I'm not going to sit here and pump it like I was. They had record attendance. The Industry Summit, the years my brother and I were promoting it freely, had record attendance. They never had that many people show up. Promptly, the organizer of the event decided to ban my brother, and I assumed myself I wasn't going to go anymore anyways. And he, he also banned, I think, uh, another card manufacturer, can't remember who, maybe in the game. And I believe they banned Brian Gray, but he ended up talking his way back in. And since then, the attendance to the industry summit has fallen off a cliff. And now, Panini is no longer giving out black boxes, so basically no more freebies. So it could be a sign of Panini tightening its wallets, Panini's running out of cash. I think both of those things are probably true. But it's also a sign of where the event is, and now I believe it's heading back to Dallas. Uh, What I heard was after Kevin Isaacson banned us and basically ruined his free promotion and ruined his ability to set attendance records at an event he was making money on, I heard he was making five figures on the event, then he banned us, and had to, uh, and then I think Brian Gray or somebody sued him. I mean, I, I don't have the time or really the willingness or, or really it's the time to sue the guy. I don't really care. But apparently that put Kevin Isaacson, the, the organizer of the Industry Summit, on hard times. He had to start, he had to pay to, uh, to defend himself. And I think it also uh, led him to sell the event to Beckett for, I believe, $0.0 and zero cents. Just kind of a token uh, appreciation salary, I think, is given to him, and that's it. So he really has no more motivation to make the event a success. The event is now retreating to Dallas, Texas. So you'll have a much smaller group of people uh, that'll get involved in that. I think what that's going to do is it'll spawn out these other groups. Upper Deck already has their Diamond Dealer Conference. I don't think Topps really has any interest in developing any of these kind of conferences because they're really uh, focusing more on a direct-to-the-consumer model with Topps Now and their website and stuff um, and and through online sales. So... Uh, and through their apps and stuff. I don't see Tops really getting involved, but I could see something spawning around the, uh, the the time to do it. What I would try to do is piggyback 
on to the um, National Sports Card Collectors Convention. So wherever that is, and this happens a lot in these kind of uh, these, you know, these shows and these summits and these conferences, what you do initially is just piggyback off another event. So, you know, everybody, quote unquote, everybody or a lot of people are going to be there in Chicago anyways. So you either have the event um, at night when the show's not going on, or you have it uh, the day before the event ends or the day after, whatever it might be. It'd probably be better to do it the day before. Um, so a lot of the, the conferences I attend, there's there's usually you know a piggyback, like a one-day, and I'm not talking about a three-, four-day conference during uh, the National Sports Card Convention. You start out, you just have like a one-day conference. You get everybody together, share some ideas, share some contact information, throw some things around, see if you can't, you know, almost like a mastermind group, see if you can't uh, share some ideas and and things like that. And I think an event uh, is likely to spawn uh, that way if you have some people that are creative enough or with the, um, the kind of leadership ability to make something like that happen. Certainly, if anybody wants to do that, I'd be on this show uh, freely promoting it. Upper Deck Diamond Dealer Conference, uh, I would probably talk more about and promote more. But quite frankly, you have to be a diamond dealer. So if you're already in Upper Deck's kind of network like that, you're a diamond dealer, you, you, I'm sure you, you have a rep or you have uh, enough. You probably have enough someone from Upper Deck already kind of trying to convince you to go to that event or whatever. So the the you know, but if Upper Deck opens that up, opens up the certified diamond dealers, where what I would do if I was Upper Deck, I'd open that event up. Certainly, take care of your diamond dealers. Have sessions where only they're invited, only they're allowed in. Give them maybe a premium gift bag, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'd take care of your diamond dealers, but I think you could certainly open it up to. Um, not necessarily general collectors, but other people may be thinking about becoming a diamond dealer or people that are on their way. If they keep building up their sales and their track record, maybe they can become a diamond dealer. I think that would be kind of an uh, interesting addition as certainly the industry summit is uh, completely falling off the map uh, in terms of relevant. I mean, it has been off the map for a while, but uh, after setting record attendance, thanks to free promotion on this program. It has certainly fallen on hard times. And Panini no longer producing black boxes. I remember when I was at the uh, industry summit, the one year I could have gotten a black box, every year after there, my brother would, would attend the event. I had no... I went to the industry... Really, I only went to the industry summit one time. I would always go to Vegas when my brother was there, but... I didn't. I only went to the event one time. I felt like one time was all I really needed. Quite frankly, everybody was way more interested in getting the freebies, making sure they got every single freebie, every single box. It was like watching somebody pass out food at like a, a food bank or something, you know, and a bunch of younger people were, would, would, would gather around and make sure they got every last crumb. That's what it felt like. I know for me personally, I had my shot at getting the black box, but my my buddy and I, I said, you know, my brother and I basically pay his way to Vegas every year, sometimes multiple times a year. Uh, we ended up partying all night, and the next day they were giving out the black boxes, and I was so messed up 
that I didn't end up getting my Panini Black Box, but I know my brother ended up getting one, and I think he pulled a Joe Montana or something, so he ended up keeping it. Um, I don't know if he's, he still has the card, but no more Panini Black Box. Thought that was, you know, it, it's not only on Panini showing that their finances are definitely, their belt is really getting tight over there. They used to wave it around and basically flaunt that they had quite the budget over there. I, th- I think it's getting it's getting tighter. Although you wouldn't necessarily know it. They did sign Mickey Mantle to a deal, but the way those deals always work, they typically rotate. So Babe Ruth is rotated. Uh, all, most of these players have kind of their likeness and their estate has kind of rotated their uh, their likeness through. If they don't, um, you know, give a piece piece of it to all manufacturers, they tend to give an exclusive. Uh, but they tend to rotate it. And it really, I think, you know, the absent makes the heart go fonder. Tops is going to not have Mickey Mantle for a little while. And next time his uh, his contract is renewed, I pretty much can guarantee you Tops will purchase that uh, purchase that contract and get Mickey Mantle back into Tops cards. It'll go for a while. And then the Mantle estate will decide, oh, we'll, we'll have somebody else make his cards. So those kind of things will happen. Panini also had a one-of-one disaster. This is, again, stretching back several weeks. So they had, they, they had a card. I think it was in Flawless or National Show. I can't remember. It was a higher-end prod. might have been Immaculate. I don't know. They have way too many higher-end products now. But uh, Panini, one of their quote-unquote higher-end products or you know, expensive products, uh, the SRP is expensive, um, contained, it was like a four-way jersey card. And two of the patches, I believe, were of Mitchell and S jerseys, which basically is a company that makes replicas of throwback jerseys, but has never had an on-field NFL license. So from my understanding, actually my own memory, Reebok has had an on-field license. Nike has made jerseys. I do believe Puma made jerseys in the NFL before. I do believe there's been some other companies. Champion likely made some NFL jerseys before. And there's probably a handful of other companies. But one company I'm dead certain never has made an NFL jersey that has been worn on an NFL field is Mitchell and S. It is truly a, a nostalgic throwback company made for that purpose. So Panini had patches of them, which is, and of course the card says game used. It's one of one. So obviously if these blatant, blatant uses of, of, I guarantee you that Jersey, it wasn't even player worn. How many times did those players wear the, when, when did that player wear the Mitchell and S Jersey? Guaranteed, guaranteed. Panini went to MitchellNS.com, bought a jersey, cut it up, and put it in a product. Guaranteed. Where else would it came from? I don't know these ad, these athletes. I mean, maybe they maybe those guys were sponsored by MitchellNS at one time. I don't know. But why would any a player ever wear a MitchellNS jersey? When they have the real jersey, there's no reason for an NFL player to wear a replica throwback when 
They have the real jersey already. And likely a contract with Nike, Reebok, Starter, whoever. So it makes no sense. The only thing that really makes sense is Panini went to MitchellNS.com, bought a jersey, cut it up, put it in a product, and put Game Used on it. And it's shocking that people buy this stuff. It's absolutely shocking to me. If I went to the store and bought a pair of Nikes and I find out they're fake, I'm not buying from that store anymore. If I ordered from Nike.com a pair of Nikes and I get them and they've been worn or they're not real, I'm never buying from Nike again and I'll literally go to my stock portfolio and sell every piece of Nike I've ever had. And I have Nike is my number one holding. So it would free up quite a bit of cash in the portfolio right now. So I don't, Panini literally put game on. And how many of these things, I mean, this had the Mitchell and S tag. If it didn't have the Mitchell and S tag, it was part of the patch or part of the side of the jersey. How, there, there's almost no way to know. This is why it's, it's really alarming that Panini is blatantly doing this. And we know for a fact, we, we just know for a fact, it's going on, it's in other cards, other sets. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't spend a lot of money or a lot of time. Really, that's the more important thing. I wouldn't spend a lot of time collecting Panini stuff. Period. Even when, I'll give a check on my cards update here in a minute. When I'm on check on my cards, uh, yes, if you look through my portfolios, I do have some Panini cards, but... I will tell you, as I'm buying and I'm trying to buy cards, I try to avoid Panini cards. I just don't think they're going to be very collectible for a number of different reasons. But number one, I don't trust the company. I don't think you should trust the company. And the whole collectibles business is kind of based on trust. And if Panini is putting out five, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollar products and inside are Mitchell and S jerseys, on cards that are labeled game used and are one of ones, that's crazy. That's crazy. I don't think I don't think it's right. I think it's intentional. I don't think it's an accident. I think everybody at Panini knows what what they're doing. They all know it, and so it's unexcusable. Moving on to. Check out my cards. I got a question. This was from months ago or a month or two ago, so I apologize to the listener. I'll try to shoot you an email to let you know we did get your email. I were trying to answer your question on the on the show. So he had um, he, he basically I don't have the email up in front of me, unfortunately. But the gist of his email, I believe, was we talk a lot about the, on the show about buying and selling cards on checking my cards, but it's almost exclusively buying the cards currently on the site and selling them. And I think if you're in it to make money, a little, little flipping money, a little flipping budget is right. It's not like making income and pay your bills and stuff. God knows I'm sitting around my house here that quite frankly looks amazing. 
I wouldn't have paid for any of this with, uh, you know, I would have had to put in laminate, not hardwood, if I only made money uh, buying and selling cards on check on my cards. So certainly not something that you're going to retire on or, you know, redo an entire house on, but it gives you a little little ammunition as someone that is married and who has to, I don't really have a card fetish to where I'm buying expensive baseball cards, but... Every other aspect of my life, I love expensive things. My wife always jokes with me when we're shopping online. Almost everybody, when they're shopping online, they sort price lowest to highest. I'm completely the opposite. When I'm shopping, I search highest to lowest. I'm even actually doing that. This is a check on my cards tip. I'm actually switched on check on my cards. I used to search for the cheap cards. Now I'm actually switched. I do, when I look at guys, I look for a sale, click on the guy's uh, portfolio, and I always have it. I mean, it's a default in your browser after a while. But uh, I just sort highest price to lowest price. And so I'm looking at a guy's portfolio from the highest value card all the way to the lowest value card because I'm really trying to stay at that mid to high, not really high end, um, but I like that middle dollar to five dollar range a little bit better now than the you know the really unless it's really cheap. I either want a card under twenty five cents or I want a card a dollar. I don't really like that middle twenty five to to seventy five cent range, uh, so to speak, on the site. But I love expensive things. You're not going to do that flipping cards on check on my cards. I don't think you're going to be able to do that sending cards in. But it isn't something. We talked a lot about on the show, primarily because, number one, I don't have a lot of cards to send in to check on my cards. I'm not buying boxes of cards. I don't have interest in collecting cards. I certainly don't have interest in having boxes of cards stacked up around my house. While I do have some cards, they all can be kind of concealed to about one one square foot of my house, and that's about all I want to devote uh, the space in my house to baseball cards is about one square foot. So I'm not ideally the kind of person, but if you're the kind of person that's buying boxes a lot or you have a lot of extra cards or for whatever reason you're always buying cards and you kind of want to get rid of them or you kind of want to sell them every once in a while, check out my cards is a great option because the first thing you need to realize is selling on eBay sucks. Selling on, you know, one thing on eBay, not that bad. Selling two things, your, you know, you get your iPhone, you know, you get the new iPhone. So instead of trading it in and getting rape deed on that, you sell it on eBay, which I think is probably a plus, a plus EV thing to do. That's not that bad. Uh, actually though, I did, I sold, I bought and sold, I bought, I've been buying and selling some shoes. I've only sold one pair. I've been keeping the rest kind of in my closet. But um, I sold one pair of shoes on eBay, and the, the, the shoes were seized by law enforcement. So I literally sent the shoes to the guy, made a little bit of money, like only a couple dollars profit. Really, it was just kind of a, a turn and burn kind of thing. I wanted to get some feedback for selling some shoes, get some history of selling shoes. Sure enough, the day the shoes were delivered, it's, I clicked on the delivery thing, and it said seized by law enforcement. I had to like write a letter. I ended up getting contacted seven days later by the postmaster. Long story short, the guy I sent the shoes to was involved in some kind of mail fraud. 
So of course, later he, he charges back the shoes. I ended up being able to get that money back. So I at least wasn't out the shoes and the money. I might end up getting the shoes back. They might end up sending them back to me or he may have ended up getting them. I really don't know. I don't really care to know, but that's selling on eBay for you in a nutshell. Not to mention the cut. If you sell on eBay, you're the customer service agent. You're the lister. You're the inventory manager. You're the packer, you're the shipper, you're the logistics manager, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're the back office manager. It lit- you're literally wearing way too many hats on eBay. And again, if you're selling one card, two cards, five cards, might not be that big of a deal. If you have a lot of extra time, if you're young, if you're between the ages of 15 and, and 22, 23. Quite frankly, you don't have a lot going on. I could see that you could be selling on eBay. But if you're trying to sell hundreds of cards or a hundred cards or more or anywhere in that, uh, in that range, eBay is a terrible option and check out my cards, a much better option. So if I did have cards, if I did have a pipeline on cards, and I think that could be a discussion all on its own. I think my brother had a podcast recently about that. You should, if you want a pipeline of cards, just put out there that you're buying. I remember when we had a, a card shop, the phone just rang off the hook. You could put an ad in the, in the yellow pages and people would be calling you all day long trying to sell you baseball cards. Okay, 99% of it's going to be 1990s era cards, but there's going to be those diamonds in the rough uh, many, many, many times. You're going to have, uh, not many, many, many times, I'd say once or twice a month, you're going to have somebody come in with something worth buying, and they're, they're likely going to want to be, they're willing to sell it to you at a kind of a cash discount price. So that's a way to get a pipeline on cards, but I'm going to assume this listener has some cards in their collection, and they just kind of want to turn them in uh, to check out my cards, sell them, and make some money, and and either buy some buy some box more boxes, or buy whatever kind of cards they want, or buy whatever they want. Um, in terms of the technicalities, the specifics on sending your cards, I do urge anybody to go ahead and check out their website. So they have, uh, you know, back in the day, you kind of just threw it in a box. But I think, again, I, they're not going to turn away your submission. But ideally, check out my cards once all the cards pointed in in the same direction. If you could group similar cards, similar sets together, I believe that also speeds up the process as well. In terms of packaging, obviously you want things packaged very well. Other things that you need to keep in mind are if you send a card in in to check on my cards in a top loader, there is a fee to remove that card from the top loader. So obviously, any, you know, any card you send in a top loader needs to be a, a, a valuable a card of some value. Check out my cards has various fees. Uh, not various fees. They, their, their fee structure, I think, could be outlined and displayed far better on their website. I think they could explain their website and the fees better. But once you understand them, not too hard to understand. There's a submission fee. So if I box up 500 cards, there's a fee. I believe there's a batch fee. Uh, don't quote me on this. I'm going off kind of my own, my old memory. They may have adjusted some of these, but I believe there is a batch fee. So for every batch of cards you send in, I believe there's a fee that may have been eliminated. I'm not hundred percent sure, but there's a fee, but more importantly, each card 
has a fee to it. So each card, I believe, is around 25 cents. Uh, You know, again, that can go up or down, whether whether it's a thick card, a graded card, a a really expensive card, I think, can cost more, Um, whether it's in a top loader. All those things have some various fees, but that fee is around 25 cents per card. And that is a service level that I believe they advertise on their website now to two to eight weeks. However, I will say that check out my cards. I believe they still do this. They they batch your orders through piece by piece. Whereas in the past, if you sent, I remember sending check out my cards, thousands of cards and all of a sudden, one day, they would just dump them all into your account, and you'd have thousands of cards to price. And it was great. It was great, you know. But it took weeks to price, end up pricing all those cards. And it was fun, but it would have been probably more efficient on both ends. Check out my card side and your own side pricing the cards if those cards batch through kind of as they were ready. And so Check Out My Cards tends to do that, I believe, now. So you might get, if you send in, you know, 10,000 cards, you might have, uh, over the course of eight weeks, you might have a thousand cards kind of released into your account ready to price. And I think that's a really efficient way to do it. And you should be thankful they do it like that because trust me, trying to price 10,000 cards all at once is uh, somewhat difficult. Um, so there, there's, um, there's another service level at check on my cards. That's a dollar. And I believe it gets the card on the site within a day or two or within two or three business days. I love that service. If you're somebody sitting on cards that are valued, I would say $10 and up, and you want to get rid of you want to sell them, I think a really, really good option is, is to do the, j- just put them in a box, set, send them in and check out my cards, pay a dollar to list them, and all of a sudden, they'll, they'll be up on the site really quick. You can price them, start moving them, start turning that money over. You could obviously send it in on the slower service that they have, but I think if you have an expensive card, remember, if you sell a $20 card on eBay, you're probably going to answer at least two questions about the item. So there's customer service time you're going to spend. You're going to have to package that item up nicely, bubble, maybe not a used bubble mail. I know some guys are really picky. If they buy a nice card, they don't want the bubble mailer to be used. You can't just throw a $20 card and a top loader in a bubble mailer. You got to put some uh, cardboard around it. So you're going to have to cut that out make sure you have tape for that. Not to mention a card like that, much higher expectations on the buyer's end. They're going to want to make sure there's no dean corners, any damage on shipping, any lost shipping is going to be a headache. The higher value the card, the more that customer is going to miss that card and, and, and want it to be in good condition. And if anything happens, you're going to have to provide a full refund, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas for a dollar, you can send it in to check on my cards and only be essentially responsible to price the card. Make sure you price it competitively uh, within the marketplace of where that card's going. And it's going to sell. It's going to sell on eBay. It's going to sell through check on my cards, one of the two outlets. If you price it competitively, it's going to move. And you paid a dollar for that. Obviously, there's 20% cash out fee on the back end uh, and, and maybe a storage fee here. But even if you hold a, a card in in your account for a whole year, uh, the storage fee is one cent a month. That's only 12 cents. So uh, on a $10 card, $20 card, $110 card, that's really not very much money at all. So 
I hope I, I answered the listener's question. Again, I don't have him up here in front of me. I think he was looking for some general tips. Uh, the reason why we don't talk about it on the show is, quite frankly, I don't have a lot of cards to send in. It's not something I'm interested in. But, again, if you're buying a lot of boxes, if you're, if you're in a group, if you're doing group breaks all the time, or if your collection just kind of cycles over, you know, you buy some cards for a while that you really want, and then maybe a year or two later you don't really want them and you want different ones. Nothing wrong. It's like leasing a car. Buy, you know, people that change cars or change houses or change uh, TVs or video game systems, whatever it is. Maybe every couple years you want people to do it with their cell phone all the time. You want the latest and greatest. I, I think sending your cards in to check out my cards could really free up your time. I think a lot of people within this hobby that uh, – Quite frankly, I don't think give very good advice on buying and selling. They're always telling you, oh, it's not eBay. Oh, you got to be on eBay. No, you don't. Again, selling on eBay sucks. You have to wear every single hat from the marketer to the customer service agent to the inventory manager, the logistics guy. You literally have to do everything. When if you're like me, you value your time Way more than, oh, shoot, I could have made an extra uh, four points if I sold it on eBay, sold all these cards on eBay. Oh, I could have made an extra 10% if I sold it on eBay versus uh, check out my cards. It doesn't matter, honestly. All that free time could have been, uh, you know, that free time not answering, having to ask your questions, having to respond to best offers having to send a buyer a closer-up scan of the corners or whatever, or is that a scratch on the, on, the, on the card or is it on the top loader? You know what I mean? You get all these annoying questions when you're selling cards of any value, so I think it's worth sending and checking my cards. In terms of lower-end cards, it's really not worth it to send. The card, honestly, if you're going to send cards in to check out my cards, make sure they're valued... I, I conservatively a, a dollar and up. So conservatively a dollar and up because even the cards priced at a dollar and 75 cents on check on my cards, you're routinely having to put those cards on sale at least 50% off. So anything priced at a dollar is really 50 cents. And if you pay 25 cents to submit the card, you know, we haven't even talked about what the card costs you to acquire. So it doesn't work out economically like making money for me. That's why I think sending your cards in to check on my cards, you either, you know, making money doing that is a whole different conversation. And in my eyes, a far more involved process. But um, certainly, again, if you're into group breaks, if you're into buying cards, uh, just uh, buy ba boxes, packs, or whatever, you're trying to get the latest and greatest, and then you decide a year later you've changed your mind. I think it's a great option for you. Final point, again, if you're going to send cards in to check out my cards, make sure they're valued a dollar or more because expect, if you look on the site and it's like, oh, cool, the lowest price is $1.25, I'm going to be able to get a dollar for it. Don't expect that. Expect to get about half of whatever it says there. And again, that, that's not a rule. It's not a, it doesn't happen every time. But in general, from my experience, you, you have to discount on check out my cards unless it's the Chris Bryant's or a hot rookie or, or a hot set or really collectible set um, or vintage. Vintage, you could, 
you don't necessarily have to take the half off sale on it, especially if it's in a reasonably decent condition. So those are the things to think about. And I, I think those are, those are some tips you can go with. Moving right along, we'll talk about um, briefly just BGS changed up their service plans. And I think I saw a lot of uh, chatter where I saw a lot of this chatter was on the blowout forums. Like I said, I go to the blowout forums weekly. And for a while there, I was really seeing that blowout or uh, Beckett grading was really backed up. They weren't hitting their service guarantees. Collectors were wondering what was going on. Beckett had contacted me a few months ago. It was around the time my son was born, so I was really bi- I was finishing up my house. My son was about to be born, so I didn't have time to, to respond. I think they even contacted me twice. I didn't respond to them, haven't responded to them, but they were looking for graders. They probably still are. Um, I don't, you know... I don't think it's a well-paying job. I think you have to relocate as well. And I personally don't, unless you're like 19, 20, 21 years old and you you don't have anything really going on, it's not really a position I don't think a lot of people would, would want. And so I'm not surprised Beckett has probably had trouble filling those positions. I think they had to adjust their service levels. They had to increase the prices, streamline some things. I think primarily because demand was in excess of, of where they had capacity to f- fulfill that. So they've done some things uh, over at the grading side. I haven't seen a whole lot of chatter about it uh, after kind of the changes were announced, the price increases were announced. So I don't know exactly how things are going on over there. Personally, I prefer PSA on the vintage stuff. That's the only stuff I would buy and really grade. I know there's a lot of people buying, uh, gr- you know, buying and then grading this modern day stuff. Again, I'm not a big uh, buyer of modern cards, especially Panini. The only modern cards I'd really spend any significant time or effort or money on collecting would be Topps cards. And quite frankly, not really that interested in it, but um, that, you know, there's some things going on at, at Beckett. If you are interested in being a grader, reach out to Beckett. You can also reach out to me. I can forward you this information that they sent me, but um, they're certainly backed up, but it's certainly not a career that I would jump both feet into only because uh, you're not going to make any money doing that. Um, moving to miss speaking of not making money, I think it's pretty much a fact that group breakers really don't make any money. And by any, I mean, yeah, they're probably scraping by, paying some bills. But the vast, there, I mean, again, I think there's maybe like two or three or four breakers that are probably be able to make like half a mortgage payment and a car. Could they have their own mortgage, their own car, be able to vacation a little bit? No way. It's a grind. It's a complete grind. I think you're probably looking at, there's probably four or five group breakers that probably make barely what the top four or five sports card shops make. It's likely that the top four or five sports card shops that exist likely generate quite a bit more free cash and profit than the top three or four group breakers. I'm pretty comfortable to say that. I think a, a guy that calls himself a breaker is more of a collector. And quite frankly, these guys don't have a lot to lose in their quote-unquote business. 
I saw some people, uh, what I'm referring to is there was a guy, I think it was DNT breaks or, you know, it could be DDT breaks or BBT breaks. It doesn't matter. These guys have a different name. Uh, they're selling you the same thing. It's a collector opening boxes, trying to get a little bit extra for his collection or whatever he's trying to do. None of these guys are really cutting out big money. So when situations arise where the breaker is opening cards on camera and all of a sudden spots a really valuable card, they'll, they'll put a, the box in front of the camera, switch out the card, and then try to fool you guys into thinking, oh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was me answering emails. I saw people in the blowout, oh, why would, why, would D, why would the DNT guy do this? Why would he risk his reputation and his quote-unquote business? He didn't have a business to risk. He didn't have a reputation to risk. This guy was making no money. Like I said, yeah, if he makes 100 bucks, 200 bucks to buy a pair of shoes or, or uh buy another box or maybe get a couple free teams in a break. That's great. But he's, this is not a business. Being a breaker is not a business. So you got to be careful who you buy from. Because this DNT guy or whatever his name was, it is not going to be alone. If they pop a box and see a card worth Four, five figures. There was speculation that the card he could have pulled could have been worth upwards of five figures. Could have been a Tom Brady uh, contenders rookie. Could have been Andrew Luck contenders rookie. Could have been a Peyton Manning contenders rookie. Even not then, he the breaker eventually claimed it was an Ezekiel Elliott rookie, likely worth a couple hundred bucks to maybe even a grand at most. Yes, these guys are willing to uh, try to pull a fast one in front of you to A, see if they can pull a fast one in front of you, and if B, not, whatever. They, they, quote, they apologize, maybe send some money back and call it a day and go flip the card for 10 Gs through a consignment guy or wherever, on the, on the, at the card shop, pawn shop, wherever. So you, if you're into breaking, I know people are, and people think it's a lot bigger than it is. You go on these breaking websites, it, you know, if it was bigger than it is, these, you know, <laughs> you'd have thousands of people in these rooms. I've seen poker, I've seen a poker matches, which a lot of people say is a fad that died out, uh, you know, you know, when they shut the online sites down four or five years ago, but it was a fad that died out four or five, six years ago. I've seen poker uh, Twitch streams that get thousands and thousands of views. And it's not Phil Ivey or some guy that everybody recognized, some guy in his bedroom playing poker, online poker. So group breaks is, is not really that big. It's not a moneymaker. The top three or four breakers are probably barely cutting out what the top three or four sports card dealers do. And certainly if you throw in dealers like Burbank Cards or like Check Out My Cards, trust me, 
I've seen the cars parked in the uh, owner section of Check Out My Cards. I've seen the uh, I've seen the operation. I've seen plenty of breaker streams. These guys are in their bedroom. These guys are in their den. These guys are doing it just to get a couple car- extra cards, a couple extra bucks. It's not big money. It really never was. These guys had one good year when Robert Griffin and Andrew Luck were rookies. And since then, it's gone downhill. The products have gotten more diluted. The profit margins have gotten slimmer. The competition has gone up. Considering anybody can open up a web stream and stream. Including guys that when they spot a nice card are going to try to take it out from right under your face. But in general, I think you just got to be careful about the, the, these group breakers in general. Again, they're not, it's not a business. A guy that fires up his camera, has a distributed account, and is streaming on breakers.net or whatever, that's not a business. He has not invested really anything, okay? Sold a couple spots, and that's it. It's not, it's not a business. I don't care how long it, they've been doing it, a year, two years, whatever. It's not a business. There's a, and, and I'm not making fun of anybody. There's a lot of things I do that take up my time, take up my money, do, doesn't return anything, but I enjoy doing it. This podcast is probably the prime example. I pay money every month. To, it's not free to host eight years and 200 episodes of podcasts on a computer server that, I mean, the price has not really gone up, but it hasn't gone down either. That is not free. And it does, quite frankly, it's not the, the 10 bucks a month or whatever. It's the time, all the time I've put into this show could have easily been, uh, you know, that's something I can't get back. I can make 200 bucks in my sleep, but I, I, you know, I can't get the hour I do these podcasts back. So, but I wouldn't call this a business. It's a podcast. It's something I do. But if somebody offered me, quite frankly, if somebody offered me five figures to never podcast again, I'd say, I'd tell them my bank account routing number and where to deposit the check, okay? And a lot of these breakers are in the same boat. Some of them, it might only be a four-figure card. Some of it, it might have to be a five-figure card. I don't want to say every breaker has their price, but the vast majority of them have their price. If they see a nice card, that the... They're either going to put up, they're stupidly put a box in front of the camera. I don't want to say the other ways that you can likely, I don't want to say get away with it, but make it seem way less obvious that you're switching out the cards. I don't want to get any of these idiots an idea. And I think the vast majority of these breakers are clowns, are idiots. I don't want to give them that idea, but uh, they're, you know, it's going to keep happening. 
and you'll see many, many, many more breakers go go high and buy from the hobby and take some money or some cards from collectors that paid for it. So again, be careful. Don't just buy in anybody's break. Just because the guy emailed you or tweeted you or gave you a free card doesn't mean you need to spend a ton of money with them. And quite frankly, if you're in the breaking business, I think it'd, it'd behoove you, it'd, be, it'd actually be more beneficial if you tried not to make it seem like, oh, I'm a business, I'm a company, I'm a breaker, I'm, the, I'm this, I'm that. A much more casual attitude, I'm a collector, I'm an average guy, let's get together, have some fun, open some cards, see what we get. I think, especially starting out, much better marketing message, much easier marketing message to digest than, oh, I'm a breaker, I'm a company, I got my logo, I got my stream, I got all this stuff, and I have, you know, two followers. NFL draft came and went. Didn't have a, that was Trubinsky right at the top for the Bears. I think he'll be uh, well collected. I don't know how well he'll play. The last quarterback that, that, or the last several quarterbacks that have been there have not played well. Traditionally, it's a tough place to play in Chicago. It being so windy, the field uh, sometimes, I don't know if it's still the case, but sometimes has a tendency to be a little sloppy. Probably not the greatest place for a core, although Cutler put up some, some good numbers there, just not a lot of wins. So we'll see how he does. I don't think he's enough to drive it. I think the one guy that I think really could, I think one and one A uh, driving force uh, uh, in this year's football cards could be two running backs. I think you certainly could have Leonard Fournette. Um, I don't know. I don't know Jacksonville well enough. I don't know their offensive line situation, but I do know they have a quarterback and a wide receiver or two. So should be um, reasonable uh, to assume Leonard Fournette will get enough touches there to make an impact. And he is the type of player, if you did follow college football, LSU would face 10 guys in the box because their quarterback sucked and they really didn't really have a a good wide receiver. It was really the quarterback situation was just a mess. And, um, you know, the... Quite frankly, LSU faced defenses that knew that their only way to move the football was to run. And so Fournette might see seven guys in the box or six guys in the box and his eyes light might up. So uh, I, I don't think he's going to be you know pushing Ezekiel Elliott type popularity or number, especially in Jacksonville. But the bar is much, I don't want to say much lower, but the, the bar is low for someone like Fournette. And uh, I think he could he could jump right over that bar and have a good season. Joe Mixon for the Bengals definitely a homer pick, but uh, if he didn't uh, apparent well not apparently if he didn't punch uh, a young lady in the face, which is unexcusable, quite frankly. Uh, but again, we'll we'll look past that, and he's in the NFL. That likely cost him to be a first-round pick, and now he's heading to the Bengals, which have a long track record, and this is a fact. The, the Bengals have a very long track record of cultivating some of the league's best running backs. In my time following the Bengals, it basically started with Corey Dillon. Uh, that was handed off to Rudy Johnson. 
Um, and then that was there might have been some down years uh, in between there. I think they drafted some guys that got hurt. Two guys in particular, I think Chris Perry and another Kenny Irons, I think was another guy. But uh, since then, they've done well with Giovanni Bernard. I know Jeremy Hill had a fumble. His cards aren't very well collected, but if you he does get a lot of touchdowns. And Jeremy Hill is a viable option in fantasy, and I think that does keep you uh, in the new cycle, so to speak, especially during the season. But not a really collectible guy, not a very, uh, quite frankly, his attitude uh, looks poor at times on the field. So Jeremy Hill's not a guy, even as a Bengal fan, I really like very, I really don't like him very much. His attitude, I've seen him wave off coaches and stuff. And obviously the fumble uh, is never going to be forgotten. So a guy like Joe Mixon coming in, certainly, and and what I've read already, obviously a first round talent, um, certainly could. Again, the bar will probably be low or lower on him. And he's a guy that could could easily break out and, and people could say, wow, this guy could be a really good player. I think we'll see several other players uh, within the draft have um, respectable season or end up becoming a respectable, if not very good NFL pros. Whether or not that happens in year one certainly remains to be seen. I think, again, the better option is, you know, you could sprinkle a little bit in the, the NFL draft uh, this year, but uh, you know, in terms of buying prospect cards, but I still think year two, year three guys probably better in the NFL. Again, the NFL, I'll talk about this in a little bit, just like the NBA, the NFL, it's not an old man. None of these leagues are old man leagues, but to come in at eight, you know, in the NBA's case, 18, 19 years old in the NFL's case, usually 20, 21, 22 years old and really break through again, what we saw at a Dak Prescott and, Ezekiel Elliott was really special and tends those stars really have to align, so to speak, you know, a team with, with the logo at being the star, the star really had to align. The Cowboys were already a good team. They already had a really good offensive line. If not in some people's opinion might be the best, if not one of the best, certainly one of the best, if not the best offensive line in the league. So not, Hugely surprising that an elite college running back was able to come in there and do what he did. And in my opinion, an elite quarterback, although he's made uh, Dak Prescott, I was not sure he'd have the accuracy and the touch and the throwing ability that he showed. Um, He really looked good. He really, what Ezekiel Elliott did, didn't surprise me at all. In fact, I don't want to say I expected it, but, you know, didn't surprise me at all. What Dak Prescott did certainly surprised me. So certainly could be some guys that do that this year. I don't think you're going to see that out of the quarterback position. Again, Trubinsky got drafted in a a situation where he'd probably be able to play. I didn't see a lot of other quarterbacks that fell to those spots. So I really think you're looking at year two guys, year three guys that will probably be the guys to collect, kind of like Jay Ajayi from um, the Miami Dolphins broke through this past year, really became a, a well collect or more collected player, and his values uh, certainly went up. I think you could see uh, something similar like that uh, heading into next year, maybe a second-year, third-year running back, or certainly some of these second-year, third-year wide receivers. Uh, Tyler Boyd, again, for the Bengals, um, could could have a, kind of a sneaky year um, because the Bengals have so many weapons on, uh, at running back, at wide receiver, uh, with John Ross and A.J. Green. If they can get them all on the field all at once, someone like Tyler Boyd certainly could have uh, a lot of opportunities uh, come his way. 
But um, so that's the NFL draft. And uh, don't have a ton. Of, I don't have a ton else to really say on uh, on that. So we're at the two thousand. I think that's like the two thousandth minute. Not minute. Um, I don't know. My uh, my podcast recording software is is showing me two zero. And since we're on show number two hundred, we'll we'll come. We'll wind it down here. The show's not going to come to an end right this second, but we will wind down the sports card show podcast. We are now transitioning into the Make America Great a segment, Make America Great Again segment on this podcast, which is which will likely be a tradition over the next four to eight years. So if you're not into making America great again, the Sports Card Show podcast is over for you and you can turn the show off and we appreciate you listening. And we look forward to having you as a listener on the next show. But what I want to talk primarily about, not necessarily about Donald Trump. Um, I think he's been, uh, had a really, uh, it's been a really wild ride in the media. And I think the media is doing a really good job of convincing everybody that uh, Donald Trump called Russia and had them hack the Democrats' emails and put out the truth about what was contained in those emails. Whereas quite frankly, um, you know, anybody with any kind of logical mind knows Donald Trump probably isn't even that smart. Not only that, he doesn't really have the connections uh, that run that deep. Uh, he's not a politician, so I don't think uh, that really behooved him to do that. Uh, but needless to say, been a tumultuous week. Some of it probably self-inflicted. Some of it um, just kind of the piggybacking of what's going on. But I th- still think there's some really quality things going on. If they can really kind of... Bu- I actually think instead of talking about the, te- the, the specifics about the tax reform, the specifics about the health care, these guys can kind of quietly work on it and then have to come up and answer you know, questions about Russia, a country that we, we really don't compete with on a global basis for anything other than nuclear weapons. So... I don't know what, uh, you know, but anyways, I don't really want to spend the time talking about Donald Trump. What I want to do is talk about actually two things that might benefit you. The first one, I don't, uh, definitely will benefit you. Second one, well, I kind of want to talk about LeVar Ball and Lonzo Ball, since it looks like he's going to be a Laker. You better believe uh, it's got to be one of my new favorites. I've I've actually been uh, over my son. My wife doesn't like this, but I've been over my son lately just saying Lonzo, Lonzo, try to to get him to his first word to be Lonzo for Lonzo Ball, who will likely be the Lakers uh, draft pick this year in the draft if all goes well. But um, so far, no luck getting my son to say Lonzo, but I do want to talk about that. First thing I want to talk about, though, is um, when I was doing these show notes, I just done my taxes. And all this talk about, certainly Donald Trump's uh, tax reform bill would would hit me square in the face and help me because my wife and I, for at least the third or fourth year in a row, were five-figure net payers of federal tax. And we were net payers probably in the four-digit range of state taxes. And so obviously, somebody in my position who is a net payer of taxes... Um, I could have, uh, again, under different tax reform, I think the one Donald Trump proposed, I would have gotten back at least $12,000. My wife and I would have gotten an over a $12,000 check 
based on Donald Trump's uh, one-page tax reform, just from what I saw, I would have probably gotten a little bit more back if you would have factored in corporate tax reform, maybe some capital gain uh, tax reform. Then, uh, the, you know, in addition to the the those the the investments themselves going up, I definitely would have done really well. But instead, again. And I would tell you what I was going to do with that money. My wife and I need furniture. Again, we, we just redid our whole house. We've done probably about 90% of it. We probably got another five to 10,000 that we could, could, could spend on, on, on making it perfect. We don't have any interest in doing that, uh, quite frankly. Um, but we do have interest in having sofas and end tables and, and chairs and things to sit on. Um, and that's where our budget is a little light. I would have definitely uh, could have used that money. And again, I would have drove in down the street. There's actually a, a, a manufacturer of furniture. They literally make it right there, right in the, like literally down the freeway from me. And they hire local workers and it's all USA materials and all this stuff, all this stuff I'm all about. And so I would have taken my check there and dropped probably almost all of it on all this furniture that we need. Unfortunately, we'll have to save up throughout the year. And again, we're really blessed. I don't want to make it seem like I'm complaining here. We'll end up, uh, you know, we'll end up furnishing our house with, with high-end uh, USA-made uh, furniture here soon, but uh, certainly would have been nice to not have to send that uh, check to the government. But what I wanted, long-winded thing to say is my best, my best tax right off this past year, outside of having my own business. Obviously, having my own business, I'm able to write off a lot of stuff, a lot of my expenses, internet expenses, computers, uh, laptops, iPads. Obviously, I'm using them uh, you know, for business and, and really consuming them and using them quite a bit. But it is nice to be able to write all that stuff off, write all the, the, you know, the profits that I made. I can write a lot of those off and get those down to a manageable number. But outside of that, really my best was actually saving money. So contributing to my IRA. So this past year, I really stepped up my contributions. I'll tell you why I, as a young person, uh, someone that's, I was in, I started really getting serious in investing right in kind of my mid twenties. I started when I was 17, invested a little money. There was the dot-com boom. I went to college, didn't, didn't really have any money, quite frankly, um, but really got into it right out right around actually 2007 2008 when the when the stock market crashed again figured that would be my time to invest again i did it want to lock that money in an ira because there were withdrawal there are withdrawal penalties on your ira and my plan was to buy stock when it crashed have it go up cash out and retire basically, quote unquote, retire. Not that I don't have income or I don't still pursue uh, ways to get income, but my goal was to invest in the stock market wisely at the right time, cash out, not have to pay the government 30. I mean, I paid the government all along the way, but um, I was able to sell that stock and, and you know, buy a house and, 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 and stuff like that. So, but... So I've done that, but now I'm much more longer-term focused. Now I'm 35. I got a kid. I'm like, man, I, I definitely want to have money when I get older just in case I lose the ability to make money online or I lose the ability to um, really have interest in that or I just want to just relax and have 
um, income stream coming from dividends and from investments. And so I've been much more longer-term focused, so I've been contributing much more into my RA. Again, there's a cap on that. Uh, I believe you can only, I mean, you can roll over larger amounts into that, but every year, I believe it's like about $100 a week. You can contribute about 5250 And so I did that last year. And I swear, when I put that amount into my taxes, into my turbo tax, my tax liability went down so much. Like it was, I don't know the exact amount, but it seemed like it was dollar for dollar. And so for every, I just wanted to really just say that if you're not saving in an IRA, sure, a lot of you guys probably have 401ks and retirement plans, but really that individual retirement plan, you can set up on your own. You can go to Schwab or Fidelity or whatever, and you can set it up. And what I would do is just get on a monthly or I like a weekly deposit into these things and just get it on a monthly cycle. Deposit as much as you can in there. And hopefully, um, you know, again, for some of you, maybe you don't pay a lot of tax, but now you're saving money. But for me, it was like a double it was great because I saved money that I would have had to send to the government and I also get to keep that money and it's saving and it's growing. I've made some wise investment. I bought Apple at $90 last year. I bought Disney at, at around $90 last year. I bought um, Starbucks at like $50 last year. I bought some other, I bought Exxon Mobil, I think at like 80 bucks or Chevron, one of those at 80 bucks. And it went all, it's come down to, I think maybe about a hundred dollars a share, but it was all the way up at $130 a share. I made some really nice investments. You know, some of them gone up, some of them gone down. I bought Verizon at 46 and I think now it's down to 44. Uh, over the course of a year, I think it was up higher than that and it's come down. So, you know, it's not all completely home, home run type stuff, but, um, May, I mean, I bought Apple at 90, now it's at 150. So that was, that, I mean, that is going to light your portfolio up really nicely. So, um, but long story short, if you're, pay, if you're a net payer of taxes and, you know, we may or may not get tax reform next year, I think it's really good. I think it's just good financial planning to plan on paying the same rate you did this year, whatever rate you paid, plan on paying it next year. But I think some ways you can do some deductions, especially if you don't have your own business. If you don't have your own business, you might want to think about setting one up and looking, again, I could have a, I don't want to have a whole show on this, but there are probably podcasts and certainly books out there. I think the one that was going around this year was Deduct Everything was the title of the book. But the premise of those books is you need to set up a business funnel some revenue and some money through there and, you know, funnel then your purchases uh, through there, your vacations, your car, your gas, your mileage, your computers, your internet bill, your cell phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can funnel that through a business. Now, um, you know, again, you want to, you want to, you don't want to take a free podcast advice on all this, but as someone who I have not had an employer, since I started the show, I might've had an employer, uh, briefly for a two or three months period during the show, but I currently do not have an employer. I do occasionally do some substitute teaching, but again, if you saw what they pay me, that's would be considered volunteer work and not employment. Considering I probably made more, this is not true, uh, but on an hourly basis, 
I've made more flipping cards on checkout my cards than substitute teaching. So it shows you how little that pays. But um, thankfully, that's not paying the bills around here. Um, so I just wanted to give you that that kind of take on on saving some money. It's not only you're not only saving that money for your future or expenses that come up for or future income because dividends. You know, I'm trying to build up a portfolio of dividend. Every company I rattled off from Starbucks to Apple to Verizon to um, Disney, they all pay a dividend. I'm trying to build those up. So, the you know, in 30 years, 35 years, when I'm ready to just kick back and relax and maybe even turn off the podcast microphone for one last time, I'll be able to um, have some dividend income and maybe some stuff to pass down uh, to a charity or onto my kids, uh, whatever uh, I feel like at the time. So, some good advice. Hopefully it works out. Hopefully we get tax reform this year. And those of you that are net payers of taxes get some relief there because I think it's needed. Because it's not like if I kept that $12,000 or I got a 12, you know, instead of sending it to the government, it's not like that $12,000 is going to sit under my mattress. I literally, well, I have a Tempur-Pedic, a really nice mattress that I highly recommend. I would have went out and bought likely five figures worth of furniture. Because I went, we went to the showroom and I looked at the prices and, you know, having custom handmade furniture is not, uh, you know, I can't, needless to say, I can't afford it right now. So I'm a little bummed out about that. But anyways, if I get my five-figure check next year, I've already planned what I'm going to buy, but I'll save that for another time. Um, LeVar Ball, maybe I'll buy some uh, big baller brand shoes. And so what I've seen, I had to unfollow people on Twitter. I like to look at Twitter and see what people are, I I like everybody's opinion. I don't mind, I follow plenty of people that bash Trump. In fact, most of my timeline is is bashing Trump. So I actually set up a conservative Twitter. Not going to say, I don't want to advertise it quite frankly, because I tend to get a little little rowdy over there. Uh, But... um, and I've had a few tweets. Actually, it's so funny in the politics. You know, everybody thinks, oh, sports cards is, is so big. It's so big. You say the right thing in the politics, and you'll get thou- just thousands of retweets. You can have, I mean, I have an account. My, my account, my conservative account, only has 100 and some odd followers. But I've had tweets that were retweeted a thousand times. It's, and, and a lot of it, admittedly, I mean, some of this stuff is bots and, and all that stuff, but there are legitimate people reading and, and tweeting this stuff. So certainly uh, interesting to, to tweet and, and really, you know, get noticed, not really get noticed, but have it reach so many people. I think it's kind of fun. So, but anyways, so... Uh, but but on my Twitter, my, well, my sports card radio Twitter, I've been, you know, again, I don't care if you bash Trump. I don't care if you bash who I'll talk about here in a second, but the LeVar Ball family. LeVar Ball, his son Lonzo. I don't really care that people trash them, but it's like the consistency of it that I had to turn it off. I had to unfollow a lot of people the other day because it was just like, consistently I'm seeing the same people bash Trump, bash Trump, bash Trump, and never really, uh, you know, again, if, if, uh, if, if uh, uh, Hillary Clinton was elected, I wouldn't have been, I, I would have probably disagreed with our side. Certainly wouldn't have expected my taxes to get, I would have expected my taxes to go up. 
and would have been looking for ways to hide all my income as much as possible, like every Donald Trump and all the rich people have been doing for the last eight years. But anyways, um, you know, again, I don't expect everybody to love, especially someone like Donald Trump, who's a complete asshole, basically. I mean, I can totally see why people hate this guy. Totally understand. And I totally understand why people could not like LeVar Ball. But what I think a lot of people have a problem with is people that are different. Especially people that are different and then successful. Donald Trump, completely different kind of quote-unquote politician, quote-unquote presidential candidate. And he was successful. He won. Regardless of what happens inside the presidency, he can always say, I won. And LeVar Ball gets trashed about $500 sneakers and this, should have taken the money from Nike or whatever. He's ruining his son. I've seen child abuse and exploiting his kids. Are you kidding me? So I'm definitely on the, I mean, regardless if, and again, I had this opinion of, the, of this family before I found out that we're, welcome, that we're likely going to welcome them to the Los Angeles Laker family. And I think that, quite frankly, I think it'd be a great fit. I think what LeVar Ball is doing is going to be what's going to be done by a lot of athletes in the future. They're either, A, not going to sign with the Players Association. I think that's a potential in the future. That's obviously been, flo- that's been floated around in the past. That's been executed by people like Michael Jordan, by Barry Bonds. I believe there was something called the Quarterback Club back uh, uh, many years ago in the NFL. I think a, a group of quarterbacks actually grouped together and kind of created their own licensing firm. So these things are not new. And I certainly see someone like LeVar Ball, especially if he gets all three of his sons in the NBA, could create his own licensing and his own brand around all three of his sons. I certainly think it's conceivable. And as someone who has followed uh, the sportswear industry, especially in the last year, very closely, in fact, I'm largely credited within the investor community with shedding lights on two things on a sportswear manufacturer, number one, was Under Armour's failure or soon-to-be failure into the California market. There was a lot of investment research that was written. Oh, they uh, Under Armour signed UCLA and they signed Cal. They're going to start selling all this stuff in California. I said, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Quite frankly, because we, you know, we've seen the comments of the Under Armour CEO. He's a, a Trump supporter and why I totally agree with what he says about Donald Trump. I don't agree with saying that, especially when you're trying to sell into one of the most liberal markets in the world, and that's California. And shortly after that, Steph Curry and The Rock and all these athletes basically had to condemn what the own C, the Under Armour CEO said. So these sportswear brands have a history of, of uh, CEOs who put their foots in their mouths, starting with uh, Under Armour. And so I love what the big baller brand is doing. Am I going to buy $500 pair of sneakers? I don't know. I'm kind of debating whether or not to buy the $220 slides. I don't have a pair of slides. I just bought a pair of two, uh, $180 Kobe Bryant shoes. 
I have another pair of $220 Jordans in my closet, and I have another pair of like $200 uh, foam posits. So I have literally almost six, $700 worth of sneakers that I've bought in the last three months off Nike. So I'm unfortunately not in the market for a $500 pair of basketball shoes, maybe the slides, but certainly some, maybe a t-shirt. I want to make, you know, I want my, you know, I support these guys, but again, I'm waiting for them to be a part of the Laker family. I'd love uh, to support their brand uh, at that point. Certainly, uh, at, if, if anything, get a t-shirt uh, and certainly a jersey or something like that would be kind of neat. We'll see what happens, but I think this is going to be the norm down the road. I think people are hating on it right now because people's knee-jerk reaction to people being completely different and doing things different is to mock them, to hate on them. But Michael Jordan has been vastly underpaid by Nike given his performance for the company. I saw estimates the other day that Michael Jordan has netted, I'm going to say only, only $1 billion from his relationship with Nike. Last quarter, that's the last three months, Nike sold over $9 billion worth of sneakers. I'm going to repeat that. Over the life of Michael Jordan's contract with Nike, And a lot of people credit Nike's success in the sneaker world to Michael Jordan directly. Michael Jordan, by reports that I deem to be credible, by credible reporters, believe his payments from Nike have been around $1 billion over that entire period of time. In the last three months, Nike sold $9 billion worth of sneakers. So I don't know who the fool is. Is it LeVar Ball or is it Michael Jordan who contributed hundreds of billions of dollars to the top line of a company and is netted a billion of it? Like what? Basically, like one percent, maybe not even that. That's like in a whole year. Nike sells like forty billion dollars worth of shoes in a year, and Michael Jordan over his whole career has gotten a billion dollars, and he is in large part recognized as one of the godfathers of sneakers, and certainly one of the biggest reasons why Nike is the biggest shoe company in the world. I saw an article published last year. Steph Curry was worth $14 billion to Under Armour. Under Armour had like $5 billion in sales. So just Steph Curry alone was worth three times all of Under Armour's sales. Under Armour didn't reach a billion dollars in shoe sales for the entire year until this past year. A lot of people don't realize that, that Under Armour sells a billion dollars in shoes for 12 months. 
Nike sells out in like a week or a weekend. And Steph Curry is worth 14 times that. So I don't really know who's stupid. Maybe it's Curry. Maybe it's Jordan. Maybe it's all these athletes over the years that have taken the deals from these companies. Now to launch your own shoe brand is complicated, but it's getting much easier. I don't want to say much easier, but it's changing. The shoe manufacturing business is changing. All of manufacturing is changing. Nike, Adidas, they've innovated this fly weave or fly knit, whatever they, whatever brand they decide to call it. But it's eliminating a lot of the waste. It's done by machines that, while expensive now, will get, will get cheaper and cheaper. The 3D printing on the soles is getting perfected and, and more and more. So you don't need necessarily really expensive molds. I don't think a lot of people know this, but to manufacture shoes right now, each size requires very expensive molds. So size nine needs a mold that's probably like close to 100,000. Then you need size 10 and 11 and 12. That's why LeVar Ball has shoes, I think size 13, 14, and 15 are like $100 more, $200 more. It's because the size of those molds and the demand for them is even lower and lower at those sizes. I don't know if LeBar Ball's making the right decision. I don't know if financially it's going to work out. But I sure do <laughs> applaud him for taking a risk, for being all in, and quite frankly, all in on his sons. And let's not forget, this is a black man with three black sons. I mean, I have, might have more sons than this. I don't know. But the three that I see playing basketball, this is a black male father with three sons. Two, I believe, again, I'm going off memory here. One got a full ride scholarship. I think two have gotten a full ride scholarship to UCLA. The other one will be appearing there, I think, this fall. And Lonzo Ball is going to be a top pick in the NBA draft. And this father is actively in their lives trying to create a, biz, a family business. Let's not forget other athletes have done this. Not necessarily to this certain degree, but we've seen Shaquille O'Neal had his own brand. I think he still does. I don't know. But at, at one point, Shaq, when he was on the Lakers, had his own brand of shoes. He wasn't with anybody. Stefan Marbury, probably most famously, has his own brand and absolutely murders it in China. Murders it. Patrick Ewing. I, don't, I mean, again, he might have just licensed his name. Eventually, maybe Lonzo Ball and these guys, it ends up, I mean, that's really what they're seeking is a licensing deal. And people are making fun of them. Whereas really... Maybe the suckers have been Michael Jordan who have created many multi-multi-billionaires. There are many people tied to Nike stock and Nike Corporation that have become multi-billionaires, B. And Michael Jordan, from reports that I read on the internet this week, has netted quite possibly a billion from Nike. I don't want to say that's it, but in comparison to the, the millions and billions other people have made on his back, he got ripped off. 
And if Steph Curry is worth $14 billion to Under Armour, who barely does a billion dollars in sneaker sales in a whole year, I can only imagine what Lonzo Ball and maybe his two brothers might be worth to another company. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if Big Baller Brand, if, again, if Lonzo Ball goes to the L.A., his other brother comes up and is a top pick, and maybe even his third brother comes to the NBA and is a top pick. I could easily, absolutely easily see Big Baller Brand being the third biggest basketball shoe sales in the, in the, in the world. It'll go Nike, Adidas, Big Baller Brand. Because right now it's Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour. And Under Armour and, and their entire uh, basketball shoe brand is built upon Steph Curry. And those have been mocked ridiculously. How many times uh, Steph Curry's come out with shoes that have been mocked? And they had to cut the price. The Curry uh, shoes went way down in price just recently, 30 40% markdowns because they weren't selling. They haven't been selling. So just just a general observation out there. I think it's well known. You get on Twitter, you get a bunch of these, uh, you know, armchair quarterbacks. And I'm guilty of it too. It's not like I don't get on there and spew my own opinion as much as possible or whenever I'm on there. But when it comes to things like LeVar Ball, comes to our president, whether they're Democrat, Republican, or Independent, It's, it doesn't necessarily have to be constant trashing. There are people around this world doing much worse things. Then again, a black father, and I don't mean to emphasize, I'm not trying to be like racial here, but I'm saying uh, how many kids in the NBA even talk to their dad anymore? How many kids in the NFL talk to their dad? Or even know who their dad is. I bet that the numbers are pretty high. Pretty staggering. And here we have a father who, again, you, you could argue whether or not he's doing the best thing financially for his kids. But maybe they don't, you know, I don't want to say the couple million dollars from a shoe company is nothing. But, again, when, when you factor in Steph Curry could be worth $14 billion to Under Armour. And I guarantee you they haven't even paid him close to that. These athletes are really valuable. If you study Under Armour, Nike, Adidas, not only the athletes, but we've seen, look at Adidas. Adidas was like falling on its face. And then they signed Kanye West and Pharrell and the Yeezy Boost came out. And all of a sudden now this company is, is up there with Nike again and growing fast. They're actually growing faster than Nike in, in almost all markets. These influencers, these athletes mean a ton to these companies. And I know uh, the average guy out there, again, if a company offered me 10 grand to stop podcasting, I would. I'd say, cool. And if somebody offered you a million dollars to wear some sneakers, you probably would. But it doesn't mean 
that the people that turn their nose up to that are stupid or dumb or doing the wrong thing and deserve ridicule. In fact, in my opinion, they deserve... I mean, to turn, to turn your nose up to Adidas and Under Armour and Nike, that takes a lot of balls. I love it. So I speculated early, last bit here. I speculated earlier uh, on Twitter that I thought, shoot, if Le- Le- Lonzo Ball turned his nose up to Nike, he should just turn his nose up to Panini and the Players Association and all these places and sign his own autograph. I think he actually could make more they, they might not even be aware of this but i actually think lonzo ball could make more money selling his autograph on his own than licensing that through panini or another party than he could selling shoes again you got to pay probably close to half a million bucks to do a, a run of shoes easily maybe a million bucks to do one size run one run of shoes let alone 10 sizes. Whereas it costs nothing for Lonzo Ball to sign his name on whatever. So, I, you know, I speculated that he could go his own way. I did get some, some credible information from, I believe, somebody that used to work for Tops, and I think he still works in the industry, said that Lonzo Ball already signed a deal with Panini. And that deal is not made public, but that's where he's going to end up. I personally think that I personally think that's a mistake. But I'm definitely not going to get on Twitter and be like, oh, LeVar Ball is such an idiot. Should have had his kids sign 8x10 cards. He could have sold them for $100 each and sold. I would have bought one. You know, I definitely would have snap bought his autograph over a pair of sneakers. And, and, and I think at a, a certain price point, it, it probably is more economically feasible. And imagine if, like, LeBron did that or Michael Jordan had done that or Tiger Woods had done that or any of these super, super mega athletes had just kept control of their autograph the whole time. Imagine what they could sell it for now. I mean, yeah, they've made some money from Upper Deck and from Panini and Tops and all these companies, but it's nothing. They're just one athlete of what they do. It's always going to be a small, you know, whenever you're licensing it out, it's always going to be a smaller piece of the pie than what you could have gotten on your own. So certainly props to them doing it on their own. We'll see how long it lasts. We'll see what happens. I personally think, though, it's going to be a trend. Right now, guys like LeVar Ball, Lonzo Ball are ridiculed for doing that. Again, the way manufacturing is going with the fly knits and the the computer manufacturing, both on the 3D printing side and then the weaving of the fabric side, that's all going to be done by robotics. And it's expensive, and Nike and Under Armour and Adidas are on the cutting edge of that. But it's going to get to where the mid the, the mid market brand or a mid market licensor might be able to provide that, and someone like Lonzo Ball could stay independent and say, "Hey, instead of signing with Nike, I could just sign with a manufacturer of shoes, kind of a third party or a white label." Hire my own designer, maybe hire, I mean, shoot, you hire like partner with a rapper. I mean, these rappers all want to be NBA players. They'd probably do it for free. But I think you'll see that going forward. Uh, again, now not with every athlete, but certainly NBA athletes. I think you'll see the the next guy that is supposed to be the next LeBron or the next. We haven't seen that guy in a while. 
quite frankly, in the NBA, we haven't, you know, yeah, Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Davis and Andrew Wiggins, these guys are really good and they're good players, but none of them were brought up to the NBA with the, you're the next LeBron, you're the next Kobe. We haven't seen that really since almost LeBron, as far as my memory concerned. Yes, there's hype around the number one pick, but we haven't, even with Lonzo Ball, I don't think anybody's expecting him to be the next Kobe. But that next athlete that comes up, that is expected to be the next Kobe, LeBron, Jordan, uh, quite frankly, I think the odds are probably better that they stay independent, they do their own thing, they sign their own autographs, they, they wear their own shoes, And they'll make way, way, way more money uh, than these other athletes did. And it's not again. LeBron James, I think, reportedly signed a one billion dollar uh, deal with to stay with Nike. Uh, again, LeBron's worth to Nike is way more than you know, way more than a billion dollars. Nike sells nine billion dollars worth of footwear in a quarter. Guaranteeing LeBron James one billion over the course of his lifetime, and I'm sure a lot of that is in stock. It's not like they guaranteed LeBron James $1 billion in cash money. It was, we'll issue some Nike shares, give them to LeBron. He can obviously go and sell those and cash them out if he wants to. But that's what these companies are offering too. So I don't, I don't mind that, Levo, you know, Lonzo Ball says, I want $3 billion if it's all going to be in paper assets anyways. If Under Armour signs somebody, it's going to be, they're going to issue stock. I mean, Under Armour's having a little more trouble with their stock price than Adidas and Nike are. But quite frankly, none of these companies have any trouble tapping the debt markets or tapping their stock to raise money, even a billion dollars. Although a company like Under Armour is far smaller than, than Adidas and Nike. And a billion dollars is a lot of money. But just want, you know, if I unfollowed you this last week, it's probably because you complained a little bit too much. I don't mind the Russia, Trump, this, that, and the other, as much as I don't mind the Clinton email and uh, Benghazi and Seth, whatever his name is, the guy that, got, that she probably had him iced off. I don't mind all that, but take a breather every once in a while, and you don't have to then transfer that over to a guy that's just uh, trying to raise his kids. And quite frankly, is doing a, a pretty good job about it. Like I said, his sons have gotten, he's had two of his three sons get full-ride scholarships to college. If my son gets a, a scholarship to a school like UCLA, I'll be doing backflips. And so would all, every single one of you. But quite frankly, I think a lot of the people on Twitter are not successful Don't recognize success if it smacked them in the face. Don't recognize that leadership, courage, really takes you doing things outside the box, doing things differently than from everybody else. If you do things like everybody else, you get lumped into the 99%. You want to be a part of the 1%. Trust me, when you're a part of the 1%, all the, the pointing and, oh, you're rich and, oh, you don't care about poor people. Oh, you don't, you, all you care about is money. Oh, you're selfish. 
Trust me, it all just flows right down your back like water. Because I guarantee I've, I've donated plenty of money to charity. I donated plenty of time to charity. And when I'm talking about once a year, once a week even, I'm talking about on a regular basis. And quite frankly, I think a lot of the people on Twitter are just angry. They're sitting at work. They're upset with their job. They're upset they haven't taken those risks in life that have paid off. Donald Trump took a risk. He could have sat around on his golf course. Could have sat around grabbing pussy left and right. And again, I'm not making the guy out to be like he's the Pope, but he could have sat around and done nothing. I truly believe he wants to make America great again. Whether or not you believe with his methods or his madness is fine. But I think a lot of people just are jealous of people that do things differently and find success. LeVar Ball and his family are one example. Donald Trump is probably the primetime example. A guy that could have sat around, done nothing, could have kissed, he could have done, he still could have won. He could have, he could have kissed GOP's ass the whole time and said he was making fun of everybody except the voter. And now it's Hillary Clinton's fatal mistake. She made fun of the voters. She called Trump supporters deplorables. People ran with it on both sides. And it was a huge mistake. You can call Donald Trump whatever you want. You can call Hillary Clinton all you whatever you want. But the supporters of both those candidates deserve the right to support whoever they want. And to call them names was absolutely uh, the biggest, one of the biggest political faux pas I've ever seen. And it wasn't Russia. It wasn't Comey. It wasn't WikiLeaks. Is the fact that she not only made fun of the Trump voter, she didn't ever connect with them as well. And that's the fact. That's a fact. That's a fact. And even if you're a, a Russia, a, a Russia, Russia, Russia guy, Democrat, if you, if you had a sobering moment, you would agree with me. But anyways, wrapped it up on the show. Show number 200, as they move through the, uh, you know, the years, certainly will evolve these shows. But we'll always, you know, we'll always start it off with sports card news, and we'll always roll down the, roll down the topics. I think that's kind of fun. Not interested in interviewing anybody from the hobby, quite frankly. Again, if we had blowout cards on the show, now I'd have to bring that idiot on and you know, I'd feel obligated to bring the idiot on to talk about this stuff. So I prefer to just remain, uh, quote unquote, independent and sit here and tell it uh, basically how I see it. If you see it differently, you can always send me an email at sportscardshow at gmail.com. You can always send me a tweet at sportscardradio, but don't expect me to follow you if all you do is complain about Trump and this and that and that and everything else. God, I certainly could have been doing that myself. I could have complained about all the taxes I paid and, oh my gosh. 
And oh, $500 sneakers. Oh my God. I, th- I think I've spent that much on a pair of golf shoes before. Not quite five. I think it was like 400 after tax. It was like 370 or something. So I'm a, you know, again, I'm not your typical, typical guy. When I do my online shopping, I sort from highest price down to the lowest price. I don't shop at Walmart. Won't catch me dead in a Walmart. When I buy meat at the store, it's always in the case. It's always fresh. It's always the most expensive. Stuff on sale does not interest me. And that definitely, uh, you know, that definitely impacts the, impacts the show and impacts uh, the opinion we've spewed on the show. But um, hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. Thanks for hanging with us this deep. Show number 200 is over for everybody. Thanks for everybody that hung with us all this way. We'll come back some other time, some other place. But until then, we are out of here. <laughs>